verses, verses 13 through 17. It's a little hard for me to believe that it's been since September 6th of 2020 that I've preached a sermon at Faith Church. Yeah, and it's the sermon sticks in my mind a bit because it was the last sermon and, and Tommy and Rachel were baptized. And so uh, I preached the sermon on the ten, the ten uh, virgins and the watching and the being prepared and the imminence of Christ's return. And I, I remember preaching one of the things is I, I pray to go away and be used and come back ready to go, being more mature, more in love with the Lord. And ready to jump back into faith church. And what do you know? Um, you know, I'm, I'm wearing these beautiful sneakers. I can't even lift my feet up that high right now. But I'm wearing sneakers and not boots because I've been having hip pain for the last six months, which, which has definitely altered the complexion of my deployment and even my time at home. And, and then last week, you know, I, was, I was getting ready and was really getting excited. I prepared the service for Sunday morning. I got the slideshow. I, I didn't quite send it to Paul, though I have it. It's ready to go. And you know, our family had been passing colds back and forth, and thought I was clear Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It was, it was coming back. And uh, so this is not the sermon I was planning to preach tonight. I was planning to preach the second sermon in Jonah. But that is kind of the point. What do you do when the Lord changes your plans, and how do you respond to that? <laughs> your plans may be good, but the way you respond says a lot about your attitude. Let's read a very familiar passage. James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is God's word. When it comes to us responding to our Lord changing our plans or planning things without the Lord, James gives a rebuke, a challenge, and then a truth. James here rebukes anyone who would fall into that temptation of self-sufficiency. Come now. Let's think about this. And he uses the ancient Mediterranean model. They wanted to go away and uh, trade and make some money back then. This, this, these plans, notice, have a lot to do with profit. Because back then, you, maybe you'd want to buy a, a villa, on an estate, get the good life. And James has much to say about money in his book, not because riches are bad, but when you're rich, you tend to put your faith and your confidence in the certainty that money tends, seems to provide. Right? There's, there's this false sense of security that you can bank in money. And there's nothing wrong with making plans, but James says the problem is you are planning as if God is not there. You're going to go do this, it's going to happen, and it's done. And you know it's going to work out, because after all, you're the one that planned it. And James later on says in verse 16, all this type of boasting is arrogance, it's evil, assuming that you have the ability and the power, not only the plan, but to make it happen in your life. One commentator says, people like this who plan in this way without God in their lives and, and then assume it's going to happen, call themselves masters of their own destiny. But this type of planning is not just an ancient Mediterranean problem, is it? 
In fact, one of the things I think, one of the traps that we can fall into, perhaps not so much riches, because we're all rich when it comes to the way you view the world today, and we're all in the top percentile of, of how we're cared for, but we have increasing certainty in so much of our life. It's easy to believe that we can just plan everything out. You know, we have those weather forecasts that can blunt the force of natural disasters. We have increased medical diagnosis that can sometimes uh, can, can shunt the, the causes and early treatment of, of diseases. You can have apps that find the snags in traffic and they get you around. And it feels like you can basically make anything work, that you're in control and nothing can stop you. So James says again, be careful about self-sufficiency. And of course, it's not just the modern world, it's, it's the church. Maybe a little bit further out, maybe not so much in, in the Reformed Church, but you, know, you can have a formula. All we need is a campaign, a 40-day campaign, and you just do this, and, and God's going to work in the church. Maybe we would say, we just need to teach the right theology. We need to have our worship right and our discipleship right and our, our mission right. And of course, those things are crucial and God will bless us, but perhaps not in the way that we have planned or determined or in our timetable. And of course, as an individual, where I've been challenged, you, you probably don't go around brazenly planning your future as if God is not there. But isn't it easy in the small things to just cut God out of the picture and just, just assume that you know I, the little things I've got, whether it's Getting back from drill to here, a 65-mile trip. It's, it's only when God intervenes that you stop taking things for granted. I did not expect a cold to knock me out last week. There was. It can be easy to fall into this trap of self-sufficiency. I have the resources that I need. I, it's, it's a good plan, and there I go. And so James follows up his rebuke with a challenge. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. I remember March 2020, March 1st, boarded a flight to San Antonio for my second week of military training. There was, a, by this point, a decent amount of rumblings about the, the coronavirus, COVID-19 that was going around, but travel was going on, everything was happening. I go down by Thursday, they say, you're the last class here. We're, we're, we're canceling any kind of movements except for people going home. March 8th, 7th, I fly back here. We cancel Sunday service. And then we had the next 12 plus months. I didn't see that happening when I was flying down. We had Hurricane Ida. And you know, as we had the spinoffs, there were a lot of damage from the flooding, but five tornadoes touched down. You could see the damage in the houses in Mullet Hill. Just out of nowhere, it came down. It was almost like a bomb at the second story. Just, we're not in control. There's so much. The fact of the matter is, you don't know what tomorrow would bring. You can wake up tomorrow and there could be a serious accident or death in your family. There could be a terrorist attack. There could be a natural disaster. We, a cyber attack, we don't know. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And not only do we not know about tomorrow, James says, what is your life? Your life is short. What about you? He says, you're a mist that vanishes for a little while. 
Now, because we live in South Jersey and don't have a whole lot of mist, I, I, well, maybe this. You are like snow which falls on the ground, and the next day it's just melted away. That's it. In the big scheme of us, none of us last long, and we, we don't even know if we will be around to complete our plans. And so the sobering truth, James says, is that you don't have ultimate control over your plans. So don't go around acting like the world is spinning around just for you. So up to this point, James is just making arguments for wisdom. He's just saying, hey, this is how life works. But now he presents the truth. This is how you should act. Instead of the selfish or arrogance, we should live humbly, recognizing that God controls everything. He says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this, or we will do that. Now, in one sense, this is not a particularly Christian phrase. The pagan sailors would swear by the God and willing. And I was talking with the soldier today, and he said he was working with a lot of Muslim soldiers. Inshallah, if you're familiar with that. Inshallah, if, if Allah wills. Right? But, so, so this is, in some ways, a, a broader theological statement. But it is interesting, a commentator pointed out, James didn't say if God wills. He says if the Lord wills. A, a name that almost always goes back to Yahweh, even refers to Christ as Lord here once in James chapter 2, verse 1. What James is talking here then is a very personal reference for the God that we serve, the triune God, if the Lord wills. And he is not prescribing a mantra or a formula that we just recite to make things work. It can be overused. Um, it can become meaningless, just saying that phrase. If the good Lord's will and the creek don't rise, right? But what James is getting at here is he wants you to develop an attitude that humbly understands that God is in control and will bring about what he plans. Now, there is nothing wrong with that phrase. I, I grew up with it. I, I use it. If you use it self-consciously, thinking about it, yes, Lord willing, see you next Sunday. As in, it may be a possibility that I won't be here next Sunday. Then that is a proper way to express that. But really, living out this phrase, Lord willing, is part of the, the beautiful wisdom from above that James talks about. That's the fruit of your faith. It's really, Lord willing is theology in action. It's taking the sovereignty of God and, and the beautiful confessions that we have that talk about the blades, the grass, and the hairs of our head and how God controls everything. And we're saying, yes. And I understand. Even though as, as someone whose heart is prone to wonder, I, I forget, but I understand and I confess that God is in the very midst of every one of my actions. And I want to I accept that. I, I want to I confess that. You know, God has a plan from eternity that he's carrying out. Sammy's learning the, the children's catechisms, like the pre-catechisms, the Westminster. And one question is, can God do all things? And the answer is, yes, God can do all of his holy will. And he's getting pretty good at that one. But that will is, is, is that theology that, that God has a plan from all eternity. And this means it's incredibly personal for you and me. As his children, we are involved in his plan of redemption from all time. He's, he's not an arbitrary or impersonal force that just disrupts your plans. Instead, what he is doing, even when it is disrupting your plans, is for your good. I love how James says earlier, right after talking about temptations, in chapter 1, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from above 
coming down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shadow to change. Chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Your Father loves you. And he's he's reminded me of this as I've experienced frustration not being able to preach and then some, some bouts of pain with my hip. He is bringing your life into line with his plan for you. James is not um, very much oriented towards the future, but he gives a hint, chapter 5, verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. It is as if our Lord, he's ready to return. We don't know when. And so that, that actually affects, the, because we know Jesus is coming back, because he's known the end from the beginning, when we say Lord willing, that reminds us that we're connected to his plan. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And that, James says, is the way that you practice the wisdom from above, that you, you show your obedience to the Lord when you submit your plans to him. I think that's what that verse 17 is talking about. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. That's a, that's a good proof text for verse, not saying sin is not just breaking God's law, but also omitting and not doing God's law. And while I believe that's true here in the context, I think James is particularly talking about our plans and submitting them before the Lord. So, two short points of application tonight. First of all, for those of you who are out there who love to plan, make good plans, but hold them lightly. Plan well, but hold them lightly. Planning has its place. The army tells me that. Hope is not an army word. If you go to your, my commander and say, well, chaplain, how are you going to get the resources for your strong bonds? Well, sir, I hope they materialize. <laughs> hope without a plan is just a wish. We've planned to, uh, tears coming down your eyes. That's what officers do in the army. In fact, God is dishonored when we expect him to provide for us when we don't plan. Of course, God doesn't need our plans, but it would be presumptuous to work without them. And you see saints that do that. Right? You, you see Ezra and Nehemiah. You see Esther and Ruth. They, they come up with these sometimes detailed and daring plans, and God honors them. So make plans. But then hold them lightly. Proverbs talks about how men plan, but it's the Lord who ensures the results and brings it about. And so how do you, how do you respond when your plans fall flat? When it's clear that the Lord has closed that door. If you are a planner, if you're the leader, and, and, and you put any work into a plan, it becomes your baby. You, know, you, you put your, your, your blood, sweat, and tears into it. It's hard to let it go. But can you say humbly to the Lord, okay, God, you know more than I do. I submit to your will. Plan, but hold it lightly. And then in our planning, place God where he belongs, in the center. We'll have a prayer service tonight. And thinking about prayer, you, you bring honor to the Lord when you, by prayer, acknowledge his control in your planning. You begin your plans with an act of prayer. And stopping, whether it's whether it's a, a short breath in your mind um, as, as you're doing something by yourself or as when you're meeting with other believers, say, let's just stop and ask the Lord for his, his direction here. It's an act of trust when you stop and you place yourself before the Lord. I, I've just, I, I do a, a, a time block system 
uh, Pomodoro time blocks, if you know what that is, 25 minutes of hard work and then five minutes where you, you take a break for, for mental things. And so when I'm, when I'm writing, I'll do that. And I actually have beads that I'll, each time block have a bead. And it helps me keep track of things and keep moving. And I try, when I move that bead down for that next time block, especially when I'm writing my sermon, to stop and, and pray and ask the Lord. Placing God at the center is something that is not just something we do in, in a perfunctory way, but it also reminds us then when we, when we plan that we orient ourselves to his will. So, you know, a lot of times our plans, I, I was, as a young man, I, I looked up, I'm good at math, I'm good at science, I like electronics, therefore I, I'm going to become an engineer. And while there wasn't anything sinful about that, I, I just wish I had said, okay, what is God's will for me considering his kingdom? And how can I orient my life to his kingdom? And when we start praying and asking God to direct us, and then we remember that he has his will and his kingdom is coming, that not only begins our planning of prayer, but, but orients our planning so that we are thinking about his kingdom actively and saying, okay, Lord, are these plans measuring up? Are they congruent with? Are they moving towards your kingdom and recognizing that Jesus comes back? Well, I didn't preach on Jonah tonight. The Lord had other plans. Clearly, I needed to hear this passage, and maybe you did too. But whether the Lord blesses your plans or he changes them, make sure that you build them on the rock that is Jesus. Let's pray tonight. Father, we confess in the ways that we can be self-sufficient. You've placed us in a time when you've been given so many riches and resources, and yet we know you are still in control of all. We do not know what tomorrow will bring. Remind us that the gospel is the ultimate expression of our humility and trust and, and need of you. Since you've given us Christ, we know know you'll give us all things. And so, Father, we pray that if you will, you will bring us through this week to the next. Praying this in Jesus' name. Amen.